Hey Harvest, good to be back together. If you're watching in the office, you're watching at home, you're watching from wherever, we're looking forward to continuing our series. Get your Bible out. First Peter chapter four is where we're gonna be. And as you turn there, uh, let me just say this. Imagine if every time you went on vacation, uh, you rented two U-Hauls, you got the car carriers, you spent all week loading up everything that you owned, and then you finally looked at your wife, you looked at your husband, you said, okay, now we're ready to go on vacation. Uh, you, we all implicitly acknowledge the absurdity of that, how exhausting that sounds, that we know that we don't function like that to go on vacation. When you're going somewhere for a week as a traveler, what do you pack? You pack the essential things you need for the week. And now cue the jokes of all the people in your life that you think overpack, right? But we all know this. When you're a traveler, when you're going on vacation, when you're taking a trip, when you're just passing through somewhere, you pack the essentials. And this is what I have just loved more and more and more about this, this, this study we've been in in the book of First Peter. Peter is giving us the traveler's guide for the Christian life, as Edmund Clowney has called this letter. And, and, and the more we've gotten into this, this, the richer this has become for me of, of, of really growing and understanding, wow, life here really is fleeting. The, like life is a vapor. We literally are pilgrims, sojourners, travelers, just passing through here to our final destination, to the new heaven, the new earth that Christ will create that will be our home. And so um, uh, as we come to 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, what we're going to see here today are, are just three characteristics of the Christian traveler. Because I, I think if you've been around the church world long enough, or if you've got some sort of foundation of Christianity, you have heard things like this from preachers or from Bible studies or just in your own study. Like, yeah, yeah, don't live as a citizen of earth. And, and yeah, um, um, don't, don't, don't think that this is your home. But I think we all know very practically, it's hard to like close the computer, stop the sermon and then go out and live as if this place we're living here and now really is at home. We're constantly bombarded with, oh, get this stuff, build your status. And uh, we're constantly thinking like all oh, the weights and the worries and the pressures of this life really are like the end all be all. And it's really hard to live as a true sojourner, pilgrim, uh, traveler passing through with our eyes on the life to come. But uh, as we get to this chapter, we get three characteristics of a Christian traveler, three things that I think help us practically really begin to live as if we really are just passing through here. And so kind of the big thought of the message today is simply this. When I know I'm just passing through, I'll live like I'm just passing through. When I really know I'm just passing through, I'll live. I'll actually live practically as if I'm just passing through here towards the destination God has for us of home and his presence finally and perfectly. And so uh, as we turn to 1 Peter 4, let's look at these three characteristics for the Christian traveler. And uh, let me just give us the first one here up front. When I know I'm just passing through, I'm prepared for suffering. I'm prepared for suffering, armed with the mind of Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? Look at verse 1, chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm ourselves with what? Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
So let's just stop here, kind of get our bearings on where we've been. Uh, last week, we looked at what, how do we respond when our faith is under fire? And that section, uh, chapter 3, ends by Peter saying, look back at Jesus. Uh, if you want to be equipped to respond well when your faith is under fire, look back at Jesus. Look at how he suffered. And, and Peter continues this theme of eyes on Jesus. Look at how he suffered. Take your cues from that as he comes to this. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm ourselves with what? With the mind of Christ. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so that begs the question, okay, what, what was Jesus' thought life like heading into the suffering of the cross? It cues the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, the intense time of prayer in which we find our Savior praying, the content of that prayer being, Lord, take this cup from me. But then how did he finish that? Yet not what I will, but your will be done. And so as, as we think about being armed for suffering, thinking about truly being like, this isn't the final place. This isn't the final home. In fact, these years are fleeting. I can be equipped for suffering with the mind of Christ going, Lord, if you will, take this cup from me. And that's an okay thing to pray. As Christians, we're not necessarily like gluttons for punishment. It is okay to pray, Lord, please, Take the cup of suffering from me, yet not ultimately what I will, but your will be done. We have this mind of Christ among us and it equips us for suffering. And Peter encourages us when we are maturing to a place where we truly want God's will. Listen to this now. When we are maturing to a place where we truly want God's will more than a pain-free life here and now. Or we want God's will more than a pleasure-filled life here and now. Peter's like, you're starting to get it. You're maturing into this picture of Christ formed more fully in you and you understanding you are just a sojourner in this life. And that's where he goes and as he continues in chapter or verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, I don't think Peter's necessarily teaching here sinless perfection on, uh, you know, here and now in this world. But I think Peter is getting at here is when your faith has come to a place where you want God's will more than you want a pain-free life, when you want God's will more than you want a pleasure-filled life, you, are, you have come to the place where Christ is becoming so sweet to you and sin is becoming the bitter, sin, sin is having the bitter taste that it should have. You are seeing maturity happen in your life that leads to the victory over the sin. And this is one of the encouragements to us in the midst of suffering. Wow, yes, this is hard. And yes, this suffering hurts. But I truly can say I want Christ more than I want necessarily the pain to go away. Or I want Christ more than I want that sin. And what a blessing this is. Uh, it's been almost five years. This September, it'll be five years since our church uh, launched. And so 
for the last five years of my ministry, the, uh, 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 a huge part of my job has been preaching uh, most of the weeks of the year, walking us through uh, primarily just different books of the Bible. And I really didn't understand from the Word until I began to preach on a weekly basis and preach straight through books of the Bible how often God's Word talks about suffering for the believer. How much of God's Word is devoted to equipping believers to endure suffering and encouraging believers in the midst of suffering. And we come to just a passage like this and we go, wow, if we really want to live as if we truly are travelers, pilgrims, sojourners, passing through this life for the glory of God with our eyes on the next, like we have to be equipped for suffering. We have to be encouraged in the midst of suffering. And this is what Peter is doing here. So do you have a traveler's mindset on this topic? Do you get that your suffering is temporary? And I know if you're in the heart of it right now, it doesn't feel temporary. It feels all-consuming. I know that even me saying like, hey, don't worry, it's just temporary, that can, that can even maybe come across to you as like insensitive or inconsiderate for the time that you're in. But throughout Scripture, we are told, listen, the suffering is temporary, and, and God willing, it is, a, it is accomplishing eternal fruit. Do you want God's will more than you want a pain-free existence in this life here and now? So as long as we are willing to finish the sentence, like, yeah, yeah, we say, Lord, take this cup from me. That's right and that's good. But as long as we are willing to finish the sentence with, yet not my will, but your will be done. It means we're beginning to live with this understanding that, man, my ease, my comfort, getting through the years here without any suffering, without any pain, like that's not the end-all, be-all goal. What is the end-all, be-all goal is that God would be glorified, that his will would be done. And and I'm willing to step into whatever that might look like to see that happen. (laughs) To say it like this, if temporary suffering accomplishes eternal fruit, we say, Lord, we'll take it for your glory. If temporary suffering leads to eternal fruit, we'll say, Lord, we'll take it for your glory. And now if you're in the midst of a season of suffering, apply this principle in whatever way the Holy Spirit is applying it to you right now in your life. Think about how temporary suffering can lead to eternal glory, eternal fruit. And and Peter has said here that when we've come to the place where um, we're willing to suffer for our faith, we're willing to suffer for the following after Christ, it means something. It means something is happening uh, in this area of victory over sin. And Peter now continues kind of that conversation of, of how should the, the, the Christian pilgrim, so to speak, the, the one who has the traveler's mindset, the one who's not living just for the here and now, what is their relationship to the lifestyle of sin that maybe wants to find their life before Jesus? It kind of leads us to the second characteristic of a Christian traveler, and it's this. When I know I'm just passing through, secondly, I'm done with the old sin 
of the world. I'm done with the old sin of the world. Look at where Peter keeps going here, verse 2. Let me kind of pick it back up in the middle of verse 1. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I want to read the first couple verses of that from uh, the New Living Translation. It just kind of helped me understand the language, uh, the meaning of what Peter is writing here. Uh, But verse 2 and verse 3 in the New Living Translation read like this. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols." When you know you're just passing through here, you'll live like you're just passing through here. You won't spend the rest of your lives for your own desires, for your sin. You'll be about the will of God. You'll be about the things that are pleasing to Him. You'll say enough of the old sin because all that is about is the pleasure here and now. But you get that you aren't living for the here and now. You're living for something so much bigger, so much more beautiful than just fleeting moments of sin on a Saturday night. There's something grander to your life story than that. A traveler's mindset will allow you to keep from driving past, kind of go with me on this picture, it'll allow you to drive past all those like uh, tourist traps of temptation along the way. Uh, In high school, as a family, we began to vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee area. And uh, if you've ever been to the Gatlinburg, Tennessee area, you know, before you come into kind of beautiful Gatlinburg and you're up into the mountains, you have to go through Pigeon Forge, right? And so if you've ever been there, you know what what Pigeon Forge is like. Pigeon Forge is just tourist trap central, right? Go-kart shows, ice cream, little trinket tourist stops, whatever. And when you're a kid, you're like, let's stop here. Let's spend time here. Let's ride the go-karts. Let's, and you just kind of get pulled into all the touristy trap kind of stuff. But if you can uh, get through Pigeon Forge and you get, can get up into like the beautiful smoky mountains, flowing the streams through it, you know how much sweeter, how much more beautiful, how much more majestic being up in the mountains past all that tourist trap is. I, I kind of give that as an illustration to say um, the blinking lights and the quick fix tourist trap, they can't tempt you off course in life from getting to the true beauty and the true satisfaction of the mountains in which you are going to. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, God has me here and now. I'm here for his glory, but I will not get pulled away into the tourist traps of temptation because I'm, I'm headed to a destination that is so much more satisfying, so much more beautiful, so much more majestic than anything than blinking lights and go-karts and shows have to offer. A traveler's mindset will allow you to keep driving past all the tourist traps of temptation of sin. Think about that literally. 
Will you think about that the moment you are in the, like, the next time you're in the heat of the moment of temptation? Okay, if I cave to this right now, if I give in, if I indulge my flesh, yes, it might mean 5, 10, 15 minutes of pleasure, but that pleasure is fleeting. God promises me with eyes up of a destination ahead that has promises way more satisfaction, to be way more majestic, to be way more soul satisfying. When your eyes are on the destination of heaven and you're living as just, it's just your pilgrim sojourner here, the glory of the presence of God allows us to not want to go back to these tourist traps of death or the past sin in our life. But, I, but Peter gives us a warning here, and it's a warning that I want to make sure I pass on to us. Living with this mindset of stiff-arming the ways of sin and maybe the ways of the past in your life, it's gonna, you're going to catch some flack from folks for it. Verse 4, uh, with respect to this, they are surprised. Who? The people that are indulging in all these things that he's listed. They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they what? They malign you. They malign you. If you are a new believer in Christ, you may be experiencing this in a very real way right now. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You're seeking to follow Him with your life. You're not going some of the same places you used to go. You're not doing some of the same things you used to do. You're not hanging out with the same frequency with some of the people you used to hang out. And you're hearing them talk. They're talking to each other about you. They're saying, oh yeah, yeah, he's too good for us now. He's kind of a church guy now. She's a Bible girl now. All of that to say, if that is happening in your life, I want you to hear this. It's totally normal in your early faith with Jesus Christ, and what a badge of honor it is. It means that God has made you a new creation. You're living with a new heart, and you're living in new ways. In your new createdness, in your new creation that you are, you're living in new ways that are good and glorifying to God, and you will get ridiculed for it. You will take some flack for it. People will talk, and that's okay. Pastor Brian this week just asked such a powerful question as we were talking through this part of the passage. And here's what he said. He said, would you rather be judged by them now or by God later? Because this passage goes on to say, but they will give, verse 5, but they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. We are all going to be people who die. We're all going to be people who stand before God as the greatest and final judge. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You start to live in a way that's honoring to God and some old friends and some people are going to ridicule, mock you, malign you for it. Yeah, I would rather face their judgment than the judgment of a holy God. Whose judgment would you rather take? Theirs here and now of saying some stuff or God's one day? I think we know the answer to that. And this passage helps us know the answer to that. Verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. All of us are going to die. All of us are going to stand before God as the final judge. We want to be people who through faith have trusted the gospel, who are alive in the spirit on that day and get to come into the joy of his presence in that time. And so I want to take this second characteristic. I want to just apply it to three different people uh, who are watching this right now. 
Look, if we really understand that we're just passing through, we're just Christian travelers, we should be dead to the old way of sin in our lives. So just three different people I want to apply this to. First, I want to apply it to those watching this who claim Christ as Lord. You claim to be Christians. You claim Christ as your King in the present, but you have not divorced yourself. You have not separated from the sin of your past. You have not left the old way. You're claiming to be a new man or a new woman in Christ, but the fruit of your life still indicates you're very much living in the old power of the flesh. A present confession of Christ as Lord with no break from past sin probably means there's been no legitimate conversion in your life. And now I I just say that with the most love that I can possibly say that. I say that out of my own testimony of believing for years and years that I knew Christ because of X, Y, and Z, but no fruit in my life to pursue holiness, to pursue wanting more of Jesus. Trust me, I look at you and I say it as one who lived that for many years. But a present confession of Christ with no break from Life-dominating sin patterns probably means no legitimate conversion. But when you know this life isn't the end-all be-all, there's something greater ahead, that Jesus ultimately isn't about just coming into your life to make your life better, that your life exists actually for His glory. That changes everything. And so if you are claiming Christ and you're still very much living out the lifestyle of passing, it's time for you today, this morning, this evening, whenever you're watching it, to truly repent, to embrace Christ as Lord. To be, to say he's Lord, it means he's king. To say he's Lord, it means he's master. To say he's Lord, it means he gets to lead your life. So let's not call him Lord if we're not living like he's Lord. Right? And that's convicting for all of us. That's convicting for me. Because I love to carry on autonomy in certain ways and not yield it to Jesus. But if we're going to call him Lord, let's make him Lord. Let's put the way of the world in the past and let's live as the sojourners he's called us to be with him as the final end-all, be-all goal pursuit of our life. And when that's the case, we'll pursue holiness. Second group I want to just talk to out of this point is this. To the new believer, and I've talked to you a little bit already, who you're really catching some flack for your new faith from an old group of friends, be encouraged. It means you're doing something right. It means you're seeking to walk out this path of following Jesus. And the word right here tells you, you will face some ridicule for it. It means you're just a normal Christian. Be encouraged. The third group is to the growing Christian with an ever-fading desire for the sinful ways and an ever-creasing desire for the final destination. Just keep going. Eyes on the sky, eyes on the prize. Just keep going. Let the sin, the desire for sin be ever-fading. Let the desire for Christ be ever-growing. Stoke that fire every single day and just keep going. So keep going. Eyes on heaven because our days here are numbered. Our days here are numbered. And a traveler lives in the reality that at any day, Christ could come back. Or at any day, Christ could allow my my days here to be done and I'm going to Him, which leads us to this last point. This last point is this. When I know I'm just passing through, 
I live in the light of the return of Christ. When I know I'm just passing through, I'm living today in light of the return of Christ. And um, kind of under this point, four quick sub points of, of Peter telling us how should we live as these travelers, these pilgrims in light that Christ could come back anytime. Look at what he says, verse seven. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. A lot of talk in these days, global pandemic, pandemic, all the unrest. People are like, these are the last days. These are the last days. They certainly are. I, I don't know if that means Christ is coming back tomorrow. I don't know if that means he's coming back in 100 years. I don't know if there's still another 1,000 years. I don't think it's wise for me to, even to make a guess. But here's what we do know. That from the time the apostles are writing what, what is Scripture, we know the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, okay, now it tells us kind of how do we live in light of the end of all things being at hand. And the four little subpoints I want to pull out of this. The first one is this, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Okay, how do we live knowing that the end of all things is at hand? We live self-controlled, we live sober-minded. This has been a big one. This has been a big theme for Peter throughout this whole letter. Don't lose control. Live in the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being self-control. Don't let your thinking come under the influence of the intoxicants of the world. Be sober-minded. The end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Live in the light of Jesus coming back. And then uh, the second thing he talks about here, living with the end of all things being at hand is to this, is to love earnestly. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love earnestly, love sincerely, love genuinely, love authentically, just love. Christians, just love. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you have sinned against someone else, and in humility you are quick to go and seek their forgiveness and to reconcile and to respond after the failure in love, that love covers a multitude of sins. When someone has sinned against you, when someone takes kind of the, the rod of offense against you and you retaliate, not with evil, not with an offense back, but with love. Love has a diffusing power in that moment. Love covers a multitude of sins. The end of all things is at hand. Christians, if we fail at everything else, we can't fail at this. Love earnestly, genuinely live with a love for one another. At the end of the day, so much of what we think really matters doesn't matter. But you know at the end of all things, what we will find really, really, really matters is how we loved one another. And he goes on related to this then. Um, how do we live in light of the end of all things being at hand? This third kind of subpoint under here, show hospitality. Show hospitality joyfully. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Back to the New Living Translation here. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. How practical is that? 
We want to love well, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal and a place to stay. God, teach us your heart for hospitality. That we would cheerfully share our home because it's His home. And He's entrusted it to us to be a place, a haven of hospitality where we can exercise this Love, teach us, Lord, how to live in a way that is hospitable. The end of all things is at hand. Show hospitality joyfully. And then kind of this fourth sub-point under here uh, is this. Serve with your gifts excellently. In light of these being the last days, serve with the gifts God has given you excellently. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Every time spiritual gifts are brought up in Scripture... They are always flanked by love, and they are always, we're always told the purpose of them is to serve one another. You have gifts from God to serve the people of God for the glory of God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God gives these gifts, these variety of gifts in a varied way to the body. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything. Here it is. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in your life as you're exercising the gifts he's given you for the good of his body to his glory. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let's be good stewards to excellently grow in using what he has given us for the good of his body. Let's not let any, let's not let one ounce of the gifts he's given us go to waste. Let's stand before him one day and go, Lord, you gave me three talents. Here's another three to the, to your glory. Let's be able to say we've served with the gifts he's given us excellently. The end of all things is at hand. So let's live sober-mindedly Let's love earnestly. Let's show hospitality joyfully. Let's serve with our gifts excellently. This is how someone who gets that we're just passing through here, our lives here being used to his glory in these last days. And so church, how would you really live if you truly understood you're just passing through? How would you really live? Just like you know, you don't load up a U-Haul to go on vacation. You don't load everything you own to go on a trip where somewhere you're just passing through. Where you are just passing through here. We have to be equipped to suffer well with the time that we have on this earth. We have to be equipped to put passing to death. We have to be equipped to live in light of the end is near. And so traveler, keep traveling. But don't settle here as if this is home. Because we're not home yet. And praise God we're not home yet. Because we know where we're going, there's a homeland that we can't even fathom how good it is and one in which Nothing here can even compare to. So keep traveling, traveler, until Christ brings us home. Harvest your love and your sin. We hope you have a great week.